This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Good morning, agents. Welcome to The Briefing Room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive co-director, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? Not so good. Um, I'm trying to get across uh, to Iran from the Iraqi border, and uh, my truck just blew up. I'm sorry. I knew I should not have left that IED there. Andrew, that was you? I'm really sorry. Did not mean for that to happen. See, I was just yelling at Monica and uh, texting her about it in fury for the past few minutes, so I'm going to have to apologize. (laughs) Oh, this is episode number 10 of The Briefing Room. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing episode 10 of season 3 of Homeland. The episode is titled Good Night. It was written by Alexander Carey and Charlotte Stout, and it was directed by Keith Gordon. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show, you should go away, catch up on Homeland, and then come back. As always, you can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com. We also have a brand new voicemail line that you can use to call and leave us feedback. We'd love to get your thoughts on Homeland and on the podcast. Just call 336-793-2509 and let us know what you think. Again, that's 336-793-2509. Uh, Who knows, we might even play your feedback on the air. All right, let's talk Homeland. Uh, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened on this episode? This is the official synopsis from Showtime.com. Brody embarks on a high-stakes mission, but his fragile condition threatens the entire operation. Quinn makes an uncomfortable discovery about Carrie, while a sudden crisis forces Farah to join the team. Here's a clip. While you were in surgery, I took a look at your medical records. You what? I was worried about the damage I'd done. (coughs) Carrie, you're 15 weeks pregnant. So? So I think you should consider sitting this part of the operation out. And why would I do that? Because it's impossible for you to be objective under the circumstances. The circumstances being I'm carrying Brody's child? Yes. Well, first of all, it's not his. Thank you very much. Second of all, it's none of your damn business or anyone else's business. Just stay the f*** out of my way. Well, Charlie, according to showrunner Alex Gonza, this episode of Homeland, Good Night, was meant to be a transitional episode to where the real action is going to get started. Really? Yes. So, with that in mind, what did you think of Good Night? Transitional episode? Yeah, it's a transitional episode, but I also think it is probably the best episode of the season so far and i feel like i probably have said that two to three times uh but not with uh the amount of confidence i'm saying it now about this episode because i thought this episode was just pretty riveting on almost every level it was suspenseful i thought it was uh very well directed i thought the acting was great i thought all the characters were consistent every character had something at stake and they all had to make complex layered decisions where it surprised me that some characters said and did certain things that I didn't expect them to while still maintaining a great deal of consistency with that character's psyche and personality, particularly with Carrie, Brody, and Saul. 
And even Senator Lockhart didn't bug me this episode. And I thought that it was, um, it reminded me a lot of Zero Dark Thirty, and I mean that in a good way, where you have uh, the protagonist, Carrie, uh, in the CIA's office watching the operation happen live on camera while the uh, supporting characters are out in the field. And in this case, we don't really know any of the supporting characters personally, except for Brody. Uh, I even liked certain things like Quinn telling her, this is going to be really painful for you. I know you're pregnant and uh, you should not watch this if you're that concerned. I found it to be a very fast-paced, very involving, and very tense episode. One of the most tense episodes in a long time. Here, all of the action takes place over the course of a few hours, and I really liked that. It did not rush things in any way. It all played out fairly realistically compared to a lot of the action that Homeland uh, usually delivers, and in particular uh, with the second season, as much as I love the second season, it kind of goes a little over the top here and there, and uh, all of the violence that happens on screen here I found to be uh, quite uh, shocking, quite grueling at times, and uh, very credible. I was a big fan of this episode, Andrew. I agree with you. I liked this episode as well. I, I don't know if I'd say it's the best of the season, but it's, it's very, very good. And you're right, part of that is just because it's so focused. It's very straightforward. It's all about the mission. Now that we've wrapped up everything with Dana, there are no cutaways to another storyline. It, it just all feels very streamlined and very focused, and I really liked that. You know, while I wouldn't say anything in this episode like really shocked me or blew me away, I was just overall impressed by how it managed to keep ratcheting up the stakes and the tension. And I like how it put... Bro it, it basically did everything it could to build drama without actually killing off Brody. Yes. By the end of this episode, Brody's on his own, and it feels like anything could happen. I'm once again confident that the writers know what they were doing. Charlie, mm -hmm. you know, there were one or two episodes there where I was starting to doubt. Oh, it doesn't feel like they're, they quite have a handle on things, but now it feels like, yeah, they had a plan. This is what they were going for. It's all starting to come together. And this was a pretty action packed episode for an episode that's supposed to be a transitional one. There's a little behind the scenes clip on Showtime.com, where Alex Gonza does talk about how it's a transitional episode. And, and once he said that, I was just kind of like, well, if this is the transitional episode, the last two episodes of this season are going to be insane. Yeah. <laughs> so I am now really, really looking forward to seeing how this season comes to an end. I, I am too. It's kind of uh, the opposite of how I felt about season two, where I thought season two started off with a bang and while it kept the tension going, it got a little crazier and a little uh, sloppy. It was all over the place, and uh, there was so much going on, that, and it was so fast-paced to the point where I just uh, felt that it would not play out like this in real life. And after the, mostly, for, for the most part, the way that season one was played out realistically, I thought that it, it was still good in season two, but it was definitely getting campier. And it's the opposite for me with season three, where I did enjoy some of the beginning of this season, but it was very, very slow. And I, you know, it was hard for me to get involved in certain episodes. We kept, we kept going back and forth with Dana. And now I feel like all of the messy portions of season three, even the unnecessary parts of season three uh, with Dana and Leo and um, all of that, 
might make it worth sitting through if this is going to be a very intense climactic ending to this season. Yeah, let's let's talk specifics. I mean, there's not a whole lot of different storylines to talk about in this episode. It's really just one giant thing, the mission. So so let's talk about what happened. Uh, one thing I do want to start out by pointing out, uh, another interesting fact from that behind-the-scenes clip, which uh, li- our listeners can find at, uh, at show.com uh, on, on homeland, uh, in their Homeland section, Alex Gonza mentioned that one of the writers of this episode, Alexander Carey, was actually Special Forces. Oh! He either used to be Special Forces, or maybe he still is Special Forces <laughs> to some capacity. I, I, I don't know, but a lot of the uh, stuff that you see in this episode is accurate including the t- the title of this episode good night which is a real password apparently that uh special forces will use uh whenever some really crazy stuff has to go down yeah and, and uh that it totally showed because i bought every single second of that i wasn't sure if that was an actual password or not but it was definitely in the back of my head where i'm like i can see him saying that you know it's not like they're gonna say mayonnaise or something bizarre you know well i liked how quinn immediately knew what the code was mm-hmm. and he was just like tell them to say good night tell them to say good night he knows that lingo and carrie was just kind of like huh what are you talking about yeah <laughs> and the fact that there was build-up to the action and the violence in this episode. And if there wasn't buildup, it was really shocking because uh, they made it very involving and very suspenseful without killing Brody or any character that we're really connected with. And I was watching this episode knowing, you know, there are two episodes left. If they're going to kill off Brody, it probably won't be until the next episode or the, you know, season finale. And there were a few moments that took my breath away where I thought, oh my God, did they actually just do that? Did the truck just blow up? Is Brody dead? That was the one moment where I thought they might have actually killed Brody. And if that had happened, I was thinking to myself, you know what, if this is how they kill off Brody, it's kind of brilliant because it's not dramatic. It's, there's, it's not this big moment. It, it just happens in an instant. One mm-hmm. moment he's there, then he's gone. Doesn't matter how important of a character he is, at the end of the day, he's just like so many other soldiers that get killed by an IED. And I thought that that would have been kind of a brilliant way to kill him off. Just to not even have a face, have a person that's killing him. Mm-hmm. Just have it be just something that happens because it's part of the war machine. Yeah. You know, they, they, they tease you with that, uh, too, with the guy who's driving him. Brody and him start making a conversation where it's like, so what'd you do? Oh, I was a bull rider for a while, but my balls couldn't take the action. So now I do this every day. And then, and then in the middle of the sentence, it just blows up. Well, here's the other interesting thing about that guy. And the thing about the Special Forces guys is I'm not even sure we ever learned any of their names. I don't think we did. And they're all somewhat indistinguishable. But that one guy that was driving, Brody had formed somewhat of a connection with him in the previous episode, and he seemed to be kind of like the leader of the group. And I loved how, after he gets his leg blown off, Brody tells him to focus on his kids. Mm -hmm. And he says something like, I don't have any children. (laughs) I, I don't have any kids. I was just saying that to keep you from acting like a fucking baby. Yeah, And that to me was brilliant because, I mean, not only is it a funny moment, it just goes to show you that in Homeland, nobody tells the truth about anything. 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, that made it actually realistic and kind of... Uh, I'm glad that we didn't waste a lot of time building up these supporting characters who are on the mission with Brody. It actually made it more disturbing for me because all you need to know is that they're people and they're doing their job really well. We don't need to know that one has a daughter and he wants to come home for his birthday or one is going to, you know, propose to his girlfriend or they didn't add any unnecessary manipulative uh, melodrama, which they easily could have. In fact, they were kind of cruel to many of those characters because not only... Uh, did the one who got his leg blown off uh, say, oh, I used to do, you know, bull riding and blah, 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 and then he gets blown up. But uh, after watching this episode a second time, the guy who gets uh, killed at the very end of this episode that Javadi shoots in the head says something along the lines of like, oh, you just calm the, uh, when they're eating the goat in the beginning, he says something along the lines of, oh, you just calm the goat down and, you know, uh, then you slit its throat when it's not expecting it. And uh, it later on, in uh, the very last scene where Brody's trying to calm him down about the possibility of getting tortured and he's actually calming him down and then Javadi just shoots him in the head. I was like, oh, damn, that's really brutal. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I haven't even made that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't make the connection until I saw the first scene for a second time on my upon my rewatch, but yeah. It's not darkly humorous, but it's bordering on that. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of vicious in its irony here. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But I, I just love how even the small supporting characters whose names you don't even know, we can never be sure that even they are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked that detail. Um, and speaking of the guy that gets killed at the end by Javadi, as soon as Javadi entered the room, I knew that guy was dead. Oh, yeah. You know, the guy killed his wife with a bottle, uh, with a broken wine bottle. If he had no problem doing that, uh, he's not going to care who he kills uh, for the rest of the season. Right. And I mean, obviously, Brody is the only really essential part of the operation. Mm -hmm. So as long as Brody's alive, things are still a go. And you just know that Chivati's going to kill whoever he can just to piss off Saul. Yeah, because he still has that grudge. And it's all, it, and Javadi almost walked in like just as if it was like a normal day at work. Like, okay, Brody's alive. Let's go. And then he shoots the guy in the head and Brody's like, what do you do that for? And he's like, oh, come on, let's just go. Uh, sh- same shit as always, every day. You know, like he just, it was almost like, you know, someone going to like work at a fast food joint who was just like, oh, serving the same assholes every day. I love how this episode just nothing goes right. No. After the last couple episodes, where it seemed like everything went according to plan, and Saul's huge master plan was falling into place, and it seemed like everything was somehow going perfectly, despite a few close calls, this was the episode where everything just went to hell. And I I, I love how just from the very beginning, nothing goes right, even if it's just a technical glitch, where the drone doesn't work for a few minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? It just starts with a little technical glitch, and then it goes from there. The cops show up, then there's an IED, then uh, Brody gets uh, captured by Javadi after almost dying on his own. So I, I, I just loved how at no point in this episode did you ever think things were going to be okay. Yeah, and every character had a convincing reason to think that a, uh, a certain decision will be the appropriate one. You know, even Senator Lockhart, I didn't think was an idiot this episode where he goes up to Saul 
and I, I love Saul. I think that, you know, I'm on board with his plan and everything like that. But uh, Senator Lockhart, I can understand why he'd be mad at Saul. He's like, look, this was supposed to be a quick mission. It wasn't supposed to be violent. This better go right. Or actually, I'm not sure. Does he talk to him before or after the mission goes bad? Well, no, he, he talks to him as it's ongoing. And he basically says, you know what? Things are already not going according to plan. You have to let me in to observe this because, like it or not, I will be inheriting this from you. So I want this to go well, too. And I, I thought that that was a refreshingly practical look at things from Senator Lockhart, who in the past hasn't usually been very good about seeing the practical side of things and how Saul's actions could be beneficial. Yeah, and he wasn't saying his almost over-the-top condescending plans for the CIA or anything like that. He he was just saying, hey, look, man, like, I did what you wanted. I'm going to have to deal with this stuff, and I'd really appreciate it if this all went well, because you're not leaving me in a good spot here. And that's totally true. I mean, I feel bad for Saul, and I think that Saul wasn't really considering that because Saul was only thinking about getting what he wants, and... I, I really loved what they did with Saul this week, and it got me hopeful for the fact that your perceptions of Saul were more correct than my perceptions of Saul from last week's episode, where I kind of said, oh, Saul's addicted to using people as pawns, and he's never gonna, he, he won't really care what uh, happens to anybody as long as he gets his way. And here, Carrie has to perk him up, or at least has to attempt to perk him up and say, hey, you know, we still got Javadi, you know, like... It's not over yet, and the fact that um, innocent police officers, Iraqi police officers have been killed, the fact that um, several of the uh, members of the Navy SEAL team have been killed, uh, really hits him hard. And, you know, the scene where he sticks up to the senator, or I forget, what's that guy's title again? It's not Lockhart, but it's the guy he Skypes with. Uh, William Sadler? Yeah, William Sadler. I believe he's the president's chief of staff. The fact that he stands up to the president's chief of staff really shows that he's not just all about getting what he wants. And at the same time, even the president's chief of staff's idea to nuke Brody just in case this goes wrong and it gets misinterpreted that America's trying to get their most wanted terrorist into Iran and how bad that could look. Like, even that stuff made sense. I, I agree with Carrie, too, when she says he doesn't care if they're dead. All he cares about is covering his own ass. It's totally true, but, you know, he's doing his job. Right, and, and that would have been another great way to uh, kill off Brody if they were going to kill him off. You know, that would have been mm -hmm. another can of worms that the show could have opened. Yeah, it, it, as long as, if, if Brody does get killed off, at least make it in a way where we can understand both the protagonist and antagonist side of view, because, you know, that, that, that would have, that's what would have been great about it. If they just decided to drone strike him for ridiculously bizarre, paranoid reasons that don't really make sense, then I would have been really frustrated by this show. But they do a really good job of convincing you that everyone right now is just doing their job, and... They're clashing with one another all in realistic ways that are consistent to their characters and make me think this may be how, like, it, it made me think of how this is probably how a lot of this stuff goes down in real life, which is not something I thought I would say about anything that happened in the season of Homeland because a lot of it's been ridiculous. Right, but, but I mean, when you've got situations like this where decisions need to be made in an instant and lives are at stake, you know, if you make the wrong choice, there could be a huge international incident. You've got everybody weighing in, everybody has a different 
opinion on what should be done, and none of them are really wrong. They're both right and wrong in their own ways, yeah. Right, it's just a matter of which is the least wrong. That's the best way to put it, because technically, if this mission does go wrong, uh, it will go, it, it will be interpreted uh, horribly, or misinterpreted horribly. This could set off a huge chain of events that could cause miscommunications uh, between Iran and the United States and totally disrupt. It could start, it could potentially start more terrorism. It could start more conflicts with the Middle East. Uh, Iran could, uh, you know, get other Middle Eastern governments to uh, sympathize with them for something they believe to be true that isn't true. And it could, you know, start a whole nother conflict and, or am I just going over the top here? No, no, no. I mean, there's a, a lot of that is actual stuff that is at stake. You mm -hmm. don't know what kind of consequences it could have if, if everything goes horribly awry. Yeah. But getting back to Lockhart for a second, just to switch gears for a little bit, I have a question for you, Charlie. Yes. We know that Quinn knows that Carrie is pregnant. Do you think Lockhart knows that Carrie is pregnant because he does tell her he saw her medical records? That's what I thought, too. And I was actually going to ask you the same question because I wrote down in my notes, does Lockhart know that Carrie's pregnant? Uh, during the rewatch, uh, I still couldn't tell because, like, he does approach her and say, oh, you are very, very lucky. Like, and, you know, obviously that could mean you're lucky that bullet didn't clip an artery in your shoulder and he didn't bleed to death. But it did seem like he was kind of having this undertone uh, of, like, you think you're fooling me, but... You're not really. And uh, the only thing that I want to know is how did he hear about that information? I mean, sure, we know that he's got guys bugging Saul's house, but Carrie hasn't been over there all season. So, you know, how did he get that information if he does know? And does that really impact what's going on right now? Does that put Carrie at risk for anything? Because I can't really see how it does unless he tells Saul first and then Saul loses it and then he tries to get Saul to turn on Carrie but I don't think Saul would just turn on Carrie for being pregnant or anything like that well the other thing I like with Lockhart is how he congratulates Carrie on being able to convince Brody to do this and she just gives him this look and it's kind of like well yeah it's called recruiting yeah <laughs> and once again you just get the impression that Lockhart he just, he doesn't know what he's doing. He, he he's would not be a good director for the CIA because he just doesn't understand how intelligence works. Yeah, and that was done in a more effective way than anything else that he's had to say this season. Like, that was a much more subtle way of showing this guy has no clue how to run the CIA or do the job that he is supposedly in the running for. Or, you know, maybe he does. Maybe he's not a complete idiot but even if he does know what he's doing carrie and all the other agents they're not gonna be quick to trust him you know and it's gonna take them a while he, he's gonna have to do a lot to earn their trust yeah oh definitely i don't think he's ever gonna be able to earn their trust unless they effectively do that in a very slow burn 
I liked him more than I did in any other episode this season because uh, all of his dialogue made sense and all of his dialogue was relatively low-key considering that he has been shouting phrases along the lines of, you guys are fucking high, or this CIA has been a clown show for years. And, you know, like, I like the fact that they... He didn't even raise his voice, really, this episode. (laughs) It was much more effective when he's just giving a very cold, stern, quiet, like, Saul... Don't put me in this position here. This isn't cool, man. I will find a way to get back at you for this, maybe. I, I guess the, the one thing that I will say is um, <laughs> apparently more people care about Carrie, the fact that Carrie got shot two episodes ago in this episode than they did the episode after that, which I found to be kind of hilarious. <laughs> like, no one went up to her when she was wearing a sling, uh, when she had her arm in a sling last week. And now everyone goes up to her as if uh, they never knew she was shot in the first place after the sling is off. I guess my main quibble with Carrie is why does she have to be pregnant? I know we've talked about, well, it's the last that she has a Brody, but now the drama with that isn't even clear because... She says to Quinn, oh, you know, why? You don't think I should sit on the, in on this mission because I'm carrying Brody's baby? And he says, yeah. And she goes, well, it's not even his, so you, you don't know anything about it. Shut up. And then just gets out of the elevator. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so is it Brody's baby or isn't it? Because if you want to play it realistically, Homeland, I don't think that can be Brody's baby. And it's always been a little murky. It's been my least favorite subplot of this season so far. I think that the pregnancy thing has been handled a little bit better. They're gradually starting to show how it could affect Carrie. You know, it's going to affect how she makes decisions. If Brody dies, she's going to be left alone. I'm okay with that still being part of the plot. Getting back to everything with Lockhart, what's interesting to me is that there are only two episodes left of the season. So something major has to happen. Either everything's going to go well and it's going to be action-packed, but they'll pull something off and Saul is still going to step down as director and Lockhart will be in charge in season four. Or something crazy is going to happen and somehow Saul, I guess, would still be in charge or, or Senator Lockhart at least would not be part of the picture as much. I don't know. I I don't see how they could write it to where Lockhart isn't a big part of next season. Yeah, and I don't know how, like, what kind of drama can they have once Saul isn't in power? I I don't know how Saul could rise up again or why he would want to rise up again if this is, you know, as we talked about last week, his possible final mission. Unless, like, something ridiculous happens, like, uh-oh, tabloids uh, show that uh, Senator Lockhart was caught with a prostitute in Delaware or something stupid. Here's the thing, Charlie. Saul does still have that information about Elaine. Oh, you're right. He could do what he threatened and go to the press. And he could say, you know what, I'm going to have to humiliate Mira and the agency for whatever reason in order to get rid of this guy, which would be interesting, you know, and it would certainly color how we, uh, how we perceive Saul. Definitely. Once again, what makes the show great is how great it is. I love how, like, last week I'm totally frustrated with Saul, even though I think he has good intentions. This week, 
I've accepted that he is using people as pawns, but he does have good intentions, and I'm kind of going in thinking he won't really care what goes wrong as long as he gets what he wants. And he is in more pain about it than Carrie and everyone else, mainly because it's his plan, and now he's realizing it's because of me and this whole idea that it's playing out this way. And I did not think about the consequences. I did not think about how it could have gone wrong in this particular way. You know what else would be interesting, Andrew, if uh, he uses that information on Elaine to blackmail Senator Lockhart, and then Senator Lockhart stabs Saul in the stomach, and he takes off a mask, and he's actually Abu Nuzir who uh, faked his own death. (laughs) Cut the credits. Wait till next year. That would be ridiculous. Wow. The last thing I want to talk about regarding this episode is the transition that Brody goes through. I, I really like how... There's a moment in this episode when he is freaking out. They shoot the cops, he gets blood all over his face, and he kind of has a meltdown. And it's like all of his PTSD resurfaces for a few moments, and he just cannot handle it. But then, later on, once the action gets going, and once they're under fire, he snaps into action, and he is cool under pressure. He crawls out of the truck, he pulls the guy out, and he's completely focused. I, I like how the show managed that transition where you get the sense that, yeah, Brody is a really damaged guy. And he's got tons of PTSD issues, but no matter what, he is a soldier. And when the going gets tough, he can be the hero. Yeah. And you, you do start to see how, yeah, Brody has been a pawn in various people's plans and machinations his whole life he is a tool to be used as a, as a weapon he is a soldier that is who he is and for better or worse he's the guy you can count on to carry out the mission mm-hmm. and i was worried that last week after wanting to die and then the fact that he uh, had that insane montage where he looked like, you know, uh, the poster child for the Marines or whatever. You know, I was worried that he was just going to be this buff, like, I gotta do this for Dana. Be a real man. Eat the goat while it's still alive. Like, you know, like, I didn't want him to be all macho man. The fact that they brought back his PTSD, it makes him vulnerable and it makes him, you know, a character that we're invested in because we see that he's human and that you know, he's willing to put himself in this terrifying situation and he's a athletic, strong soldier. But at the same time, he's still human and he's still haunted by his past and his memories. And he's not Superman, which I got nervous about considering that they implied that he could basically just turn into Superman whenever with the way they executed his transition last week. And I did like that, you know, it could have been really corny and unbelievable if he just picked up two AK-47s and just gunned everybody down and screamed like Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator or something and just managed to make it out over the border successfully. Instead, he's he does gather courage, but it, it, the mission does not succeed uh, in the way that they planned out and in a way where Brody is this idolized, muscular hunk who is you know like a gi joe character or something right right but uh, see i i feel like this episode this episode just captures everything about brody and his character it captures that he's broken but it also captures that he's a soldier and he's a tool 
and he's effective. And it also uh, it also communicates that you know what at the end of the day he's a survivor. No matter what he goes through, he's always the last man standing. He will be the guy that makes it out. And I just thought it was really effective how he goes from being completely from from being on the verge of a breakdown to being the most professional marine you can imagine and it it felt believable and it felt organic because that's part of his character and the reason brody is so compelling and is so dangerous is because he is a valuable tool and whichever side is using him if they can convince him to take part in their mission he will do whatever he can to succeed in that mission it's interesting comparing him and Carrie's relationship when he's in action to season two, because in season two, Carrie would be off to the side while he's uh, following through on whatever plan he, uh, she and Saul have concocted for him. And it almost seems that it was the opposite of season two, where Brody was kind of terrified and did not want to do this and was basically forced by Carrie and Saul to do certain things. And in this episode, Carrie's telling him not to do certain things, you know, uh, in fear of the fact that he may die. And Brody is actually willing to uh, take risks and stand up to Carrie and just be like, come on, that you know that will never work. And... It made it more interesting for me because I feel like Carrie feels that like because of what happened in season two where they put him through a bunch of situations he didn't want to go through and that she can kind of protect him and uh, he'll listen to her and, you know, then she'll know that he'll be okay or hope that he'll be okay. And there was a look on uh, Claire Danes's face where he just says, no, you know, that won't work. Uh, I'm going to, you know, follow it through on the way I want. And she looks like she could lose him at any moment. And that actually made it really emotional for me. Despite the fact that I didn't think he was going to die in that moment, it, it, it was an interesting uh, character arc that I didn't think we'd seen before. Well, see, that's what makes the characters and their relationship so compelling, is because they're, they're, they're two walking paradoxes. Both Brody and Carrie have been broken by the institutions and the masters that they serve. And yet, that is also what makes them so incredibly phenomenal Mm -hmm. at their jobs and in those roles. So the thing that they are the best at, the thing that they seem to have been born to do, that is what destroys them. Mm -hmm. And I, I just love how the show is communicating that people can be really, really damaged by the thing that they love and the thing that they're the best at. Mm-hmm. That to me is really fascinating. At In his heart, Brody is a soldier and he is a good soldier. And that is what he does, even though it constantly breaks him. And it also, that segment actually uh, redeems a scene that really frustrated you and after talking to you about it uh, really frustrated me which was two episodes ago where we discussed how we felt that Carrie uh, was being kind of inconsistent with how much she was willing to sacrifice everything to stop the uh, bomber from getting shot because she loved Brody so much and here they kind of do the same thing where Carrie cares more about Brody's life than Brody does even it seems like but you put it in a setting with a more realistic situation and it makes total sense. Like she's just as desperate to save Brody's life 
uh, to the point where she's willing to see the mission get die down and maybe not even, uh, you know, at one point, if, you know, Brody didn't do what Carrie uh, asked him to do, uh, he might have not have even ended up in Iran. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's because he's in such a realistically perilous situation that you understand why she would like kind of go to the edge and say, no, get out of there. You're sitting ducks out there. Why aren't you leaving? That works so much better for me than something as ridiculous as for Brody. I won't let him get, you know, take the fall. I got to go stop, uh, you know, this guy from shooting the bomber in the face. It, it, and I don't care if you shoot me. I, I feel like I've been babbling a little bit. Maybe I didn't communicate that as well as I thought. No, no, you're right. I mean, it's two completely different situations this week at work two weeks ago it really didn't work mm-hmm. and it's all it's all about context and about these two characters having to balance their love for each other with their jobs because really their jobs are what they're best at and it's what they are good at and so there better be a damn good reason if one of these characters is not going to do their job. Mm -hmm. Which is why Carrie getting shot was so frustrating is because she'd been doing her job so well the entire season and she's still doing her job. And even though she's still doing her job, Brody happens to be part of her job in this episode. And she's willing to risk not doing her job as successfully as it could be played out in order to save Brody's life, which is so much more interesting and believable than, well, Brody might get in trouble if I don't do this, and fuck my job. Fuck getting shot. I don't care. I love him. If you incorporate their romance into the action appropriately and realistically, sometimes this romance can work. A lot of critics complain about it, but I thought this was... uh, One of the, you know, they're not together technically in any scene this episode, but I think that's actually when their relationship works best. And then if they have been separated for a while and then they reunite, like last week's episode, that makes the scenes where they are together more effective after they've been through so many scenes of having to do their job and risk losing the person they love uh, in exchange for that. Uh, Last thing I'll mention, uh, it's not really worth talking a whole lot about, uh, Farah's family yep. is apparently going to be put in danger, most likely, because Carrie wants her to use her uncle uh, to, to potentially uh, function as a safe house for Brody and, and any team that they might send in. Once again, I think it's an interesting development, but we talked about this a few weeks ago when there was that whole thing with Farah where she couldn't go into work and it really seemed kind of pointless. Oh, I don't think this seemed pointless at all. I like this a lot no, better no, 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 than no. Th- uh, this week. The scene, this week, the scene was fine. But I'm talking about a few weeks ago when she skipped work, and we learned that she was taking care of her father, and she had family back in Iran, and that's why she was so concerned about Javadi. That whole thing didn't um, really work for me that week. Well, this is another one of those things where I find myself thinking, did we really need that? You know, I mean, would, would there have been anything really missing if the first we heard about Farah's family was this episode with Carrie approaching her and saying, oh, hey, I know you have an uncle in Iran. Can we use them? 
Yeah, it's it's just like what we talked about last week with the did we really need all of Dana's subplots if we were just going right. to find out that she killed, you know, attempted suicide and that she's in this hotel. And yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, I The previous scene with Farah, I don't even think she was in last week's episode. So the scene we last saw in with her father, yeah, didn't work for me that well either. I really liked this scene, though, because even though it's a brief scene, for the past two weeks we've seen... Carrie risk doing things that she hates doing to a person that she loves in order to do her job well. And now she's kind of asking Farah to do the same thing. And yet throughout this episode, we keep seeing her wanting to protect Brody and risk uh, a more successful outcome with her job in order to save him. And the fact that we get this scene after Brody makes it across the border shows that she does understand that Farah, um, that Farah is going to put her family at great risk. She understands why Farah is so hesitant, but it's still her job, and it's something that she uh, has to do. That I think that she probably struggles with internally, and has to put on a straight face and say, "Come on, you're our only hope." And I worried about Farah's family. This whole plot is to get make peace with Iran and everything like that. And I think that um, it will be interesting if Farah's family is destroyed in order to risk uh, making peace with the rest of the country, is that this Iranian CIA operative ends up sacrificing her family for the benefit of her homeland. That was one thing I thought was interesting. I think it's interesting that Carrie kind of had that moment with Saul where she's like, stop using me as an appliance and trust me. And now she's kind of doing what Saul did to her to Farah. Um, I found it to be interesting that Saul was not the person telling Farah this uh or asking Farah for permission to get her uncle to help hide Brody I found it to be very interesting well that's because Carrie's the one doing it because Carrie wants Brody to live yeah and Carrie wants Brody to live but she's willing to she's like please I love this person so much can't you risk the people that you love uh and their lives for the person that I love and that's a really tricky question (laughs) like that's a really That, that, you know, it's it's as gray as anything in, uh, else in this show. And um, I feel like if Saul was uh, feeling better about the mission and uh, innocent, uh, innocent cops weren't killed and whatnot, he would have been the one asking this question. But at this point, Carrie's the one having to go up to Saul and being like, hey, it's okay. I mean, Brody's still alive. We got Javadi. It's cool. And it's interesting to me now that I feel Carrie's almost getting more involved with this, mainly because she wants Brody to live. And that also brings up, is she more invested in Brody living or is she more invested in this mission succeeding? Because it seems like she's more invested in Brody living than the mission succeeding. At the same time, if the mission goes to complete hell and Brody survives, it's just going to be awful. So, uh, one, one quick thing. Uh, we did get a comment on last week's episode um, that was in regards to uh, what happened with Farah. Uh, last time we, we, we saw Farah win, she was with her father. Uh, big fan commented on the website and said, uh, love your podcast. One correction for this week, having nothing to do with Elaine versus the bomber. Uh, you mentioned that we had never seen the character who went over to Minas Farah, but indeed we have. He is the guy who polygraphed Saul when David Estes had him locked up in a conference room late last season. Oh no. Yeah. The guy that went over to Farah's house to tell her to go back to work was the same guy that polygraphed Saul. So thank you for pointing that out to us, big fan. Yeah, thank you. But see, now I'm wondering if 
that guy, that agent, who's, I, I don't even think we know his name, if, is he going to be a recurring character? Is he going to kind of be like Bill Burr in Breaking Bad? <laughs> Just randomly show up when needed. Uh, the Angie of this of Homeland? The Angie Martinez of Homeland? <laughs> <laughs> or no, not Angie Martinez. Jesus, that's the radio show host. Angie Miller. <laughs> Angie Miller. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to Chelsea Peretti's podcast, and she did an Angie Martinez impersonation, so that's why I got the name mixed up. But yeah. No, thank you so much, big fan. Um, I feel weird calling you big fan. I wish I knew what your actual name was, so I probably don't sound like a tool. But uh, <laughs> no, like that's... Wow, I had no idea. And it's interesting when they do stuff like that, and... If they don't follow through with it, is that weird that they don't follow through with that? Or is that just okay? I like it because it gives you the impression that there are these other people working for the CIA that have their own stories, that have their own jobs that they're trying to pull off as well. And occasionally their lives are going to intersect with the lives of the people on the show. And I like that. So it just kind of makes you wondering... Oh, so this guy, he showed up at Farah's house, he administered the polygraph. What is his role exactly? What other things does he do in his day-to-day job? No, I, I agree with you. That's a very good point. I didn't think of that at all. You know, as ridiculous as this show can get, as insane as this show can get, it's always real characters at the center. It's never, and even if the characters become hyper-stylized or uh, stereotypical uh, caricatures of themselves, uh, a la carry in getting shot two episodes ago they managed to always convince you that they are the same consistent character well right and the cia even though it seems like this huge all-encompassing all-knowing organization it's a finite organization with a limited number of employees so i'm sure occasionally their lives will overlap more than once Mm-hmm. That one random agent who shows up at fair at at Farah's house. Why couldn't he be the same guy that polygraphed Saul? You know, yeah, he has his job, and occasionally he will interact with people we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I, I I like that. Um, I think that's all I have to say about this episode. It was a good solid episode, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Me too. Just one more thing about Farah that uh, it's very minor, um, and it happens. A long, long time ago on the show, but uh, Carrie asking for Farah's help did remind me a little bit also of um, the woman who was with, um, oh, I keep forgetting what his position was, but he was possibly involved with Abu Nazir. It, he was the prince, I believe. And it reminded me of when that woman was like, Carrie, I'm scared. I don't know if I can do this. And Carrie's like, no, I got your back. You'll be fine. And then she ends up getting shot. Oh, yeah, that was early season that one. Was that early was early like season one. But it did remind me of when Carrie asked for her help. And it just makes me think, I don't think that I, I'm getting a really bad vibe as to what's going to happen with Farah's family. Because the show's obviously not afraid to introduce uh, characters who are related to other characters and just kill them off in the scene that they're introduced in. You know, if Brody uh, lives through this, but Farah's whole family is destroyed, will it still be worth it? Will Carrie feel guilt for destroying uh, the people that uh, this woman loves in order to save a man that she loves? Since this mission's already gone to hell, does she really think that this is going to go okay? Or is she just like, I'm willing to sacrifice Farah's family, in, even in the slightest chance that Brody will survive, even if it's like a 10% chance that this will actually be okay. Because I feel like that kind of goes back to what, you know, Saul using Carrie as a pawn, uh, 
using Brody as a pawn. You know, the, the thing about this job that is so painful for these characters is they have to use people as if they're not people. They have to use people as if they're like cyborgs that, you know, need to carry out a specific job. And I, I found that to be pretty haunting. And I'm, I'm seriously concerned for the well-being of Farah and her family come the next two episodes because I don't think it's going to be anything good. I think that's a uh, that, that's a good foreboding note to end on. Uh, so that'll wrap it up for this episode of The Briefing Room. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. Don't forget, you can call us at 336-793-2509. You can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can uh, listen to me and Andrew discuss the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H-91. I'm managing editor of moviemezzanine.com. You can find some of my film reviews there. You can also find some of my TV criticism at pathos.com on the blog Cinemeditations. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. That'll wrap up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And good night. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!